We're looking at the Apostles' Creed um, this week. This is our fourth week looking at it. And for, for some of us, the Apostles' Creed is this awkward old language. For others, it's an old friend. For some of us, it's the kind of religion we wanted to avoid. We were like, look at all these guitar pedals, and we still use the Apostles' Creed in this church. Like, it's, it seems old to us. Um, and yet, it is a, a terrific summary of what Christians believe, especially about the work of Christ. Not the whole of Scripture, not the long story of God's pursuit of His people, but uh, especially how they defined religion. It's, it's written in large part to explain in the 1st and the 2nd century, so right after Christ ascended in 33 AD until about 200. That's the time that it was being formulated by churches when it was largely illegal to be a Christian. Um, there were a lot of people that were kind of like, Jesus was pretty cool, but he was just a spirit, right? And, and so they're clarifying what they believed in light of a lot of religions that believed in many gods and some that um, were more into philosophy. They're clarifying what they believe. And I think it's an incredible help to you and I in learning how to respond to God. I think that humans instinctively, innately, by the way that they're built, respond to God. I play uh, basketball with some uh, men and women in the area, and it's amazing how important invoking God's name is and expressing anger to these men and women. And I don't even know the faith story of these people, and yet it seems to me like some of our most powerful cuss words are either the eternal type or the God type or the the sort of regular cuss words plus the God cuss words all at the same time. And, and, and I'm, I'm joking, but I'm doing it in a, in a serious way. So I'm making fun of something that I am serious about, which is I think that our innate belief that there's more to the world than we can sense or understand. Our innate sense that perhaps God exists drives us even in the way that we curse, perhaps not in sports, but in when we get cut off in traffic. And I think that shows up for people that, are, that would not even profess faith. Some response to God. I think religious people are oftentimes even more confused than non-religious people. I think we go through religious m- motions hoping that we're checking whatever eternal box exists in our life. I like to say when I preach, um, if the gospel is true, dot, 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 or if God exists, dot, dot, dot. And I do that for a number of reasons. One is uh, many of us are exploring, doubting, questioning, and you're welcome here. And part of the reason I say that is because I have questions and doubts, and I'm in charge. So it's just going to be a welcoming place in some respects for questions and doubts. The other reason I, I say it is because... It is often the most simple theological statements that provide us with the most comfort. When we begin at the beginning, we're often most encouraged in our response to God. And so we come back to a very thick and packed statement about who God is and why that matters and what we believe in in hopes that we're responding well to God because that is what humans do if he exists. If God exists, then largely what it means to be human is to learn how to respond to him.
Why do we respond to him? It's not to merit anything. Nothing that we do. When you bow your head in prayer, that doesn't expand the size of your room in heaven. When you close your eyes as an act of trust towards God, he doesn't get happier. He's happy because of the work of Christ. When you come to church, God isn't like, I was going to smite that guy. (laughs) But he made it to church, so it's all okay. Why then do we do religious things? Why are you sitting here? Why are we singing? Why do we come to the Lord in prayer? I believe it's because it's human to learn to respond to God. And respond is to me a really important word. I hope it's not because you're bored. You know how many other things you could do on a Sunday? And yet if God exists, this is the only good use of your time on a Sunday morning. I'm not even going to say the best use. It's so good for our hearts to learn to respond to Him, to do so next to one another for our memories, (laughs) to speak to our own soul about the good news of Jesus. And so we return to the creed. We do not do it because we grew up this way. I want to be clear. How you grew up matters. It's important. Some of us have a past story to untangle. For others, we're so happy about how we grew up and we connect this to that. How we grew up matters. But that is not why we come together. We come together because God exists and because there is good news eternally and for today. And it's good to remind ourselves of that. People tell me all the time why they do religious things And they essentially say because they grew up that way. And that's a good reason to consider, but it's not the only reason to do this. And I say that to remind you that I hope, whether you grew up in church or not, that you believe it's good to respond to God and to learn to respond to God as he describes himself to us. One way of summarizing that is found in your bulletin. It's the Apostles' Creed. I'm just going to read it for you. Next week when we take communion, we'll recite it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Do you pray with me? Father, would you father us from belief that to belief in? Jesus, would you help us as we look at the work that you did to reconcile us to God, would you grow us in thankfulness, Holy Spirit, as we sing, so we pray, help us to sense your presence. Amen. Amen. So how do we respond to God? Well, we move towards him as Father Almighty. Religious activities are a way of speaking to our own soul about the good news, reminding ourselves 
helping our true heart to connect to our fleshy tendencies. And that's very biblical language. Here's the deal. If you have said, Jesus, I trust you with my heart and with my decisions, the most foundational, the deepest part of you has been made good. You have been given a new heart. In the words of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But you and I still sin. So that's what's called our flesh. For those that are in Christ, they've been given a new heart, but they still sin. So what we do on Sundays is remind ourselves of the good news. Remind ourselves that our heart has been made good because of the work of Christ. And then we move back towards God, who's described as Father Almighty. And there is a spectrum of responses to that word. Six letters. To some of you, not a big deal. To others, immediately jump internally. That we are encouraged to pray to God as Father, relate to Him as Father, experience Him as Father. For some of us, we had a really good Father, and we feel shame at the sense that we haven't measured up to that. And that is about the trickiest wound. And I have what's not going to sound like good news for you, but it is. You have a really good father and you're worried that you can't measure up. You can't. Not to him, but generally. That's part of the good news. We let go of the incredibly tiring life of trying to measure up to some imaginary picture. And we allow Christ to measure up for us. For many of us, we had a good dad, and you don't even know why I'm spending any time talking about this. You're like, it's easy to relate to God as Father. Twenty years ago, I came uh, into the knowledge of an author who really who writes very clearly about father wounds, um, especially for men. And I just found the book incredibly profound. And, and some of my friends were like, why? It's because they had a pretty good dad, and they were fine relating to God as Father. But for some of us, when we hear Jesus say... Our Father, when we hear the Apostle Paul say, because of Jesus, we get to relate to God as Abba, Daddy, it really throws us off because of the unsettledness with our earthly father. He was abusive or absent. What I want to say is that, or what I am saying, is that every fiber of the disorientation that some of us sense at calling God Father is an indication of our need for a good heavenly father and to remember that we have a father that has never been impatient with us we have a father who has always been kind and loving to us I don't imagine that makes it a lot easier for you but I do want us to remember to relate to respond to God as father Almighty. It's in there twice in the work of Christ. In the description of the work of Christ in the third paragraph of the Apostles' Creed, but in the first sentence also, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. According to the scripture, God made everything, called it good. Oftentimes in our culture, uh, science and religion are, are pitted against one another. Sometimes by scientists, sometimes by philosophers, sometimes by Christians. Um, what makes 
me frustrated about that is uh, the work of science is incredibly important to human flourishing. And I believe the Bible is true. And the Bible, especially Genesis 1 and 2, are far less interested in um, when and how this all happened. I'm not saying they don't address them, but they are far less interested in addressing when and how all this happened. Very, very, very interested in explaining who did it and why. And the problem comes when we allow political agendas, and I don't mean Democrats and Republicans, I mean people that have another agenda that looks like science or religion, and they come in and they try and pit science and religion against each other. We come back to the creed, we come back to Genesis 1 and 2 and John 1, and we see the Bible's claims that God made the world and called it good for his own glory, for our good, those created in his image. Science does a wonderful job, in my opinion, of explaining some of the more uh, semantic questions, some of the mechanical questions, some of the dating questions. And when it bleeds into why and who did it, it just doesn't even sound like science. But when religious people do the same thing in reverse and want to speak explicitly into when because of a genealogy that isn't even meant to function that way, We're missing the point, I think, of the text. Which is to remember why God created everything and that he, in fact, did it. The encouragement, then, is simply this. They're just not opponents, science and faith. They're not. When someone attempts to convince you that they are, it's because they have a different kind of agenda. They can oppose each other, but what they ought to do is work on their specific questions. Why and who? Good question of religion and really philosophy. When and how? Good question of science. Anyway. So we learn to respond to God and move towards him as Father Almighty. And the easiest, or not the easiest at all, the simplest way to do that, not easy at all for many of us, is to learn to pray as Jesus instructed in the Sermon on the Mount. As a Christian of around... 35 years, the most comforting thing, 32 years, excuse me, the most comforting thing to me throughout my Christian faith has been learning to pray as Jesus encouraged us to pray. Our Father. Immediately prevented from praying too selfishly. Immediately prevented from a non-intimate religious faith by calling God Father. I would encourage you with the Lord's Prayer Uh, To let it pray you. Be gripped by it. Learn to pray it in your own words, but honoring the clauses. Jesus said, pray it this way, not pray these words. Good to pray these words, but good to learn to pray it in your own way. So we respond to God and move towards him as Father, Almighty, and Lord. Uh, Lord is the first indication in the Apostles' Creed um, that Jesus is part of the tr- well. Christ, I suppose, is the only, is the first indication. And Lord is the second indication that Jesus is part of the Trinity. If you read other creeds, they expand on this and make it more and more and more clear because of the other ways that Christianity was opposed after the second century. But in the Apostles' Creed, it simply says, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So this sounds simple to you, but compared to the other creeds, it's significantly shorter. Suffering under Pontius Pilate. You don't know, did that seem like a weird throwaway? Like, why is Pontius Pilate in there? This is so cosmic. This is so metaphysical. And yet, why are we talking about the Roman puppet governor? You know why? That's how they dated things back then. They didn't know we were going to switch the whole calendar around Jesus' birth. And the way that things were dated in the first and second century was by the Roman governors of the area. So saying suffered under Pontius Pilate tells people it happened between 33 and 36 A.D. Because they didn't have 33 and 36 A.D. They didn't have A.D. They didn't know we were going to redo the calendar. So that's why Pontius Pilate is in the middle of this. Because Christianity, in the midst of all of its metaphysical claims... And eternal good news is also something that happened in space and time and is the beginning of why we would ever put our faith in it, that it's true, that it actually happened. At the time, a lot of people were saying, yeah, Jesus seemed like a good guy, but he seemed like a spirit. He probably just seemed to suffer. If he's the Logos, he's just the Logos, which is why in John chapter 1, he says, no, he's the Logos made sarks. He's the Word made flesh, combining these crazy ideas that would have just been offensive to most of the known world to combine these ideas together. That's why the Apostles' Creed takes such pains to describe Jesus as fully man, suffered, crucified, died, buried, then descended. What I find interesting about the Apostles' Creed is this little word, Lord. Because around the world, there are around a billion people that would affirm this creed. And yet, with our life and with our actions, we say, no, Lord. That's how mixed up humans are, really. Kind of reminds me of this new f- way of talking. Seems like last four or five years. If we're listening to someone and we hear what they say, but we want to tweak it a little, we go, yeah, no. That's like the first thing that comes out of our mouth. I think that would really confuse aliens if they came to Earth. And they're like trying to understand our language. And we kept saying, yeah, no. Why did you say, yeah, no? And I think what it means is I hear you and I get that, but I kind of want to say this. And so I wanted to come off cross. So yeah, no. Similarly, we profess the Apostles' Creed. If I asked you to say it, I think most of you would say it with me. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And yet, we don't act like He's Lord. We sort of think of Jesus as the nice member of the Trinity who was so nice to the woman at the well and we forget that He called her out pretty clearly on her lifestyle. He stopped those men from stoning that woman in John chapter 8 and we forget that he said and leave your life of sin. He spoke more often about the destructive tendency in humans toward greed. Yet we don't listen. He spoke about how forgiven people inevitably forgive and yet you and I get that email and we are typing immediately the response to the person. I think most of us, when it comes to the big ways that we've been hurt, have forgiven the people in our lives. And yet on a Tuesday, we get that email and we will respond right then. Because we're going to pay that person back for the disorientation they caused for us. 
And I'll bet that that email hurt and you have legitimate pain and you need to work it out with that person. But if you're a follower of Christ, you do not repay pain for pain. Even in text message form. You try and find that person in person. And you say, I was really, it doesn't mean you're not frustrated. It doesn't mean you weren't legitimately hurt. But you say, I was really hurt by that. I'm really frustrated with you. And by the way, those of you that this actually happens at work, it's not going to help you in your work. Okay, you're not going to get promoted because you're the person that's willing to forgive. But it's going to be really good for your heart to actually call Jesus Lord in the way that you email and text. You're like, when do I get to email them back? I'll tell you, and you're going to hate this just as much as I hate this. Ready? It's when you're not having imaginary conversations with them anymore. That's when you're ready to text them back. And probably nine of you over the next year are going to get an email back from me. And I'm going to not have waited. And you're going to say, were you still having imaginary conversations with me? And I'll say, yes, please forgive me. I am a human and a pastor. And you'll say, I forgive you. And then you'll feel pretty sanctimonious in that moment. And it'll be great. There are a lot of ways um, that we call, we call Jesus Lord in the creed, and there are a lot of ways that we don't call him Lord with our actions. And the encouragement is to continue to explore his word, to continue to profess faith in him through the creed, to continue to sing that you and I might be grown up as lovers of him and neighbor, even with the way that we text and email. We respond to God and move towards him as Father Almighty and Lord and Spirit. I'm so thankful for that song, Holy Spirit. Because we believe that the Spirit is here. Scripture is very clear that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never leave or forsake you. And yet, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? The dominant thing that the Holy Spirit does is assure us of our salvation and comfort us. But we don't always feel comforted. And so what do we do? We learn to sing about that. That's part of the reason I'm preaching over it. To help us remind our soul of the good news of Jesus, which is that we have the Holy Spirit. And he assures us of what? That he is ours and we are his forever. That's why we creed if I can use it as a verb. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. Last week, looking at the implications of the Apostles' Creed, I said, if all this happened, then we cannot believe God is disappointed with us or angry with us or holding out on us. So what then do we do? We pray, Holy Spirit, help me to sense your presence and today we sing it too and you're sitting there thinking this is fine this is very preacher talk I get that you think theology is important but why does that matter to my life here's why when you and I know that we're loved and liked rejoiced over with singing as Zephaniah says when we know that all of this and the Apostles' Creed was done for us to reconcile us to God, then you and I are unassailable. 
by our enemies, by the world, by our flesh, by the evil one. Our hearts grow more and more intact in their knowledge that we're loved by the Father. That we are His and He is ours forever. That is actually the most relevant fact that I can imagine. To know in our deep being that we're loved. Because of the good heart of God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. And because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as we learn to pray that, as we continue to express the creed, as we sing, we move from belief that to belief in to knowing that we're loved, to knowing that the Father's heart is good, that the work of Christ has reconciled us to God and that the Holy Spirit is ours and we are His forever. you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your good heart towards us. We are so thankful for the work of your son Jesus who suffered and died to reconcile us to you and we are thankful for the pursuing loving comfort of the Holy Spirit. Help us to believe and believe more deeply that we are yours and you are ours. Because of your good heart, the work of Christ, and the never-quitting Spirit that indwells us. Bless us this morning as we continue to sing. Bless us this week as we attempt to call you Lord with our prayers and actions and stuff. Bless us, Lord, with a deep knowledge that we are known and loved by you. Amen.